Hey guys, Jim Cox, FFG Advisors, Park Avenue Securities, and I'm here today with an interview with Rob Atkinson. He's um, in the field of technology, works with a uh, organization in D.C. to prov- promote AI and advances in technology, and wanted to kind of get his take on what's going on in terms of AI and what we can expect and kind of the trends that uh, he sees. Um, He's been doing this for a while. So, Rob, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Hey, my pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So what's the uh, organization that you're you're supporting? So I lead a think tank in Washington, a think tank essentially a public policy organization. It's called the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, ITIF.org. Uh, and um, we uh, advise policymakers really all around the world, but particularly in the United States, on how to uh, maximize the benefits from innovation, but also how to not mess it up by uh, doing the wrong thing. Yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a huge issue when you look at, like, the rate of change of technology these days is is incredible. I mean, the advances in terms of every two- to three-year cycles is really mind-boggling for businesses. I can only imagine what it's like for people who are policymakers. Yeah, and I know, you know, oftentimes a lot of, uh, you know, some member of Congress doesn't use an iPhone or something like that. But I have to say, uh, you know, policymakers, particularly staffers in Congress, you know, they're, they're, you know, they may be a little bit behind maybe some of the leading industries or, or, you know, at the cutting edge of this stuff. But they certainly are working to keep up and and they're trying to understand the technologies and, and so that they don't you know, do the wrong thing, and they understand what's the right approach. Uh, so um, you're right, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody now, but, um, yeah, you know, with something that we everybody has to work in, whether you're in industry or whether you're in government. You know, one of the, um, one of the issues, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Janet Yellen. Um, when she ran the Fed, um, almost in every address that she gave, she talked about the need to improve the quality of the workforce in order to be able to keep track with what's going on in terms of innovation. You know, what's your feeling as far as what can be done to try to help people keep up with innovation and kind of keep those job skills to the point where they need to be in order to be relevant economically? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to distinguish between sort of what's happened and and what's going to happen. So if you look at just what's happened, we haven't yet seen this big uptick in what economists call labor market churn. In other words, uh, you know, dislocation from uh, technological change. Yeah, it's really happening, but it's not happening as rapidly as we think. Um, the technology is proceeding pretty quickly, but you know, just use a, use a good example of, of uh, autonomous vehicles. You know, we're still in the test phase of autonomous vehicles, so taxi drivers, Uber drivers, they still have their jobs. But that's going to start to change uh, as the technology continues to improve and quality goes up, price points go down. So I think it's not something people have to panic about right now, but it's a question of really can you be prepared for a, a little bit more uh, more turbulent waters, if you will, as we go forward. I think, uh, you know, my colleague, uh, David Moschella, uh, who's a consultant at a group called Leading Edge Forum, which is uh, part of, uh, I think it's the 
ESC Corporation. It's a big sort of IT uh, consulting firm. Um, he talks about this notion, which I think is really accurate, called that increasingly what employers are looking for are workers with what he calls double deep skills. Hmm. So if you're in finance, you, know, you, need to know, you need to know about markets and how to read stock reports and all that stuff, but you're probably better off if you know something about data analytics. Uh, if you're in uh, you know, insurance, you, you probably need to know something about AI a little bit. So he's talking about that really what employers want is they want they want people who have their, their, their good sort of you know, areas of skill that they would normally have, but then supplement that with what, what David calls, you know, this double deep digital skill. That doesn't mean everybody needs to have a PhD from Stanford in computer science, but it does mean that people need to be, you know, pretty flexible and, and comfortable with using new technologies that are going to be entering in the workplace. Uh, you know, in general, again, broad, broad generalization, younger workers are better at that just because they're growing up in it more than older workers, but it's just that everybody needs to be thinking about that. Um, you know, I'll just give you one quick example. In the U.S. Uh, right now, well, about 90% of high school kids take and pass geometry, uh, but only about 8% of kids take and pass statistics. Mm. And, and we have that actually, I would say, 100, 180 degrees backwards. Uh, if I had to pick, uh, I'd say geometry is much less important nowadays than statistics. Not, not that it's unimportant, but knowing some level of statistics is, is important for a lot of jobs, whether you're a machinist on the factory floor or whether you're an insurance adjuster. So, um, you know, there's just things like that. I mean, and then there's a whole set of, obviously, opportunities now with what people call MOOCs, you know, massive open online courses. People can take courses for free all over the place and uh, even, you know, oftentimes you can credit. Um, so I, I think that's, that's you know, there's a lot of, lot of need and a lot of opportunity. No, I think that's great advice. Um, you know, definitely I think the, uh, the need to kind of continuing the, the process of self-improvement is really core when even if you have a job, you know, how can you continue to add value to the job that you have and think about what's going to come down the road, um, you know, if you are displaced? Absolutely, yeah. And, and again, um, you, you know, it's a combination of two things. I think what you rightly said, you know, if, you, if you're a company and, and you've got a, just because of technology, you're, you're able to lay off, you know, 10% of your workforce and get leaner and, and uh, more cost efficient, uh, you're going to lay, you know, as a general rule, all, all else being equal, you're going to lay off the people who sort of haven't, gone one step ahead and thought about how they could really be getting to add value into the future company. Mm. Um, and so part of this is just an insurance policy uh, for workers. Um, you know, the other point that, that David Michella makes, and certainly others, is, is that we, we tend to have a pretty, I uh, think, you know, backward-looking view of what a digital organization is. And we think, what's a digital organization? People think, you know, Amazon or Microsoft or Google. But increasingly, all industries are becoming digital uh, if they're going to survive. Uh, you're going to see restaurants that have to be digital, uh, certainly with you know, the rise of what people call fintech, uh, uh, which is you know, much more rapid and, and transformative use of information technology and finance. Uh, so many, many more areas are, are going to be digital. And if you're not a digital first organization where you're really thinking, how am I going to use digital to drive transformation and value creation, uh, you're going to lose market share. And so the companies that are going to succeed are the 
companies are going to be able to do that better. The companies that can do it better are the ones that have the workforce that are able to go along with them on that journey. Do you see um, a lot of growth within kind of the incorporation of AI and that kind of technology into companies' capital spending, like corporate capital spending at this point? I do, although the caveat would be what's happened in the last five years in particular was a lot of IT CapEx became OpEx. Uh, and so if you sort of put those two together, yes, absolutely, it's going to grow. What I, mean, what I mean by that is, you know, you think about our, you know, little think tank, you know, we have about 15, 18 people kind of thing. We're not a huge organization by any stretch of the way, but we used to have CapEx, meaning our server, we don't do that anymore. You know, we every, everything we do now is uh, in the cloud, uh, mm. uh, and, and we've replaced our capex with 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 opex. Uh, and by the way, save you know significant amount of money doing that. So a lot of the so even some of the AI work that companies are going to do, uh, it's going to be run by opex. Uh, it's going to be more of an opex. And so, not to tout a particular company because many of the companies are doing this, but just using Amazon uh, AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services as an example. Um, you know, I don't know how many, something, or more than 30, I, maybe it's 40 or maybe it's 50, I don't know, but a significant number of different kinds of services you can buy from them that, that are related to AI capability. So you don't have to be doing all of this in your own organization. You can be buying AI services from other organizations. Uh, by, by services, I mean computing services. Uh, certainly, companies will buy consulting services also sometimes to figure out how to do this. So, but if you put both capex and opex together, yeah, I, I certainly think that there will be more. Uh, if you look at some of the industry forecasts, like from Forrester and Gartner, the, uh, these these kind of groups, they they certainly predict that there'll be a lot more spending in this area. So, how do we get to a point where we have a larger economy creating? more jobs as it seems technology continues to make companies more efficient and require less workers. Sure. So this has been a dynamic really since we go back to the industrial revolution, but let's just, let's go back to sort of industrialization in the U S in the 1890s. Uh, this has been a dynamic and, uh, where we have productivity growth from machines, uh, and we don't run out of work. And the simple reason we don't run out of work is because human needs are not finite. So if you go back, there's a famous article that uh, John Maynard Keynes, the, the you know, famous Keynesian, you know, Keynesian economic, famous mm-hmm. economist, wrote in the uh, Saturday Evening Post in 1931, and it was a, called a letter to my grandchildren. He, you know, he predicted that in uh, 70 years or so, uh, we, you know, we'd be living in a world of cornucopia with no work. Uh, but what the one thing he failed to predict was people in two, the year 2000 or 2018, you know, they don't want to live like people did in 1930. They, they actually want a car. <laughs> they want, a, a, you know, a, a, an HD big screen in their living room. Uh, they want to have a cell phone. Uh, they want a bigger house or a house. Um, so that's why we never run out of work, because we never run out of things we want. Um, you know, if, I think, for example, when productivity, if it starts to turn around in a much more positive way, which I think it will, um, 
what are people going to do with that money? Um, well, I think lots of things. For example, they'll, they'll, they'll people go on better and longer vacations. Uh, they'll you know, uh, add something, you know, something in addition to their house. Uh, they'll, they'll buy a boat. Uh, they'll send their kid to a you know better college. Uh, human needs are infinite, and we're nowhere near coming close to them. So I'm not really worried about that. What I, uh, as companies get leaner. Let's just say, for example, you're, uh, you, you talk about uh, you, t- you talk about uh, AI in manufacturing, and, and now it costs 20% less to produce a car, and their cars are now 20% less expensive. You know, people don't bury that money under the under, in the mattress or in the backyard. They go, hey, hey, I got 20% more money you now from my car instead of spending 35,000. I spent 30,000. I'm going to go spend that 5000 and I'm going to go out to eat more. I might buy a nicer bottle of wine or you know, whatever that people want to spend their money on. Um, and then that, that creates jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we really have to worry about is not that we're going to run out of work, but are the people who lose those jobs, do they have the right capabilities to go into the new kinds of work that's being created? Sometimes they will, uh, but sometimes they won't. And, and that's where I think both public sector, the nonprofit sector, and, and the business sector all need to step up to the plate, and, and individuals, I should say, also. We all need to step up to the plate so that we can make that transition uh, more effectively. No, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think that's real, a real danger, especially, uh, you know, when we get to a point where we, when we do have another recession that we have, I mean, there was a lot of lag in terms of employment pickup at following, you know, 2008 and 2009. And, you know, I'm afraid that the kind of the double whammy of a recession and kind of the changing technology is really going to challenge a lot of people when we get through the next phase of the economy. Uh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more because, you know, if you look, for example, just look at one narrow area, uh, if you will, or a particular area, I should say, and that is the use of AI and Internet of Things and other advanced technologies in manufacturing to create what we and other people call, you know, some people call it Industry 4.0, some people call it digital manufacturing or smart manufacturing. You know, right, right now, U.S. manufacturers aren't very far along on that journey. Some are a little farther along than others, but it's still early, and they're still testing it out and trying, dipping their toe in the water. But in five years, that's going to be very different. Uh, but even now, uh, a lot of manufacturers in the U.S. cannot get the workers they need for digital manufacturing, if you will. I mean, get somebody who can run a lathe or something like that, but it's harder to get those workers who know how to, you know, really use advanced uh, IT in, in, a, in a company. And so... It's just to your point, imagine now if we have a recession, we lay workers off, and then, and then when the economy comes back, uh, these workers would naturally want to be going into this new areas like smart manufacturing, but they, they, they're not skilled enough to do it. And so the whole economy lags, and, they, and they're out of work, the economy doesn't grow. Um, so I think it's um, some of that's our own fault, frankly, because in the U.S., for example, if you're, you know, if you're laid off through no fault of your own, you're eligible for 26 weeks unemployment insurance, but in almost every single state, they actively discourage the workers from going back and getting retraining during that period of time because yeah, they want to save money. And I really think that's penny wise and pound foolish on their part. Completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, that's the best time for, you know, other than, you know, at night or on the weekend, which is hard, especially if you got a family and you're working a full-time job, uh, you know, people do it and 
more power to them. But you know, if you're laid off, uh, it's a good time to go and you know, enroll in a four-month training program to be a you know a machinist uh, AI technician or whatever it might be. And so we really need to enable that and support workers when they when they get in that situation to help them make that transition more effectively. So affecting policy like that, is that more a matter of a state-by-state state thing, or is that something that can really be driven by a kind of a federal initiative to to do that? Well, technically in that one, it is a state-by-state state thing, because actually the feds passed a law that said you had to allow workers to do that. But the way the unemployment insurance system is set up is it's federally sort of overseen, but managed by each state. So all hmm. 50 states manage that for them. And they sort of manage it in a way that uh, I think is, as I said, is short-sighted on their part. So the federal government could, and I think should, uh, provide stronger incentives for states to, you know, to do the right thing, if you will. Uh, so I, I think that is a, a job. I mean, any state could do this if they were enlightened, uh, but most are not. I, but I think it is something that the feds could do. But I'll give you another example. There's a really interesting program in, in Ireland uh, where it's a MOOC, uh, you know, this massively open online course, but it, it's not a MOOC for, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, computer programming or something. It's, it's, it's a MOOC for technicians. Uh, if you want to be an air conditioning repair person or a plumber or a, you know, a truck repair person or whatever, uh, it's this great MOOC that, uh, you know, you can, you know, it's, is it perfect? No, but it certainly can give you some help, help workers who are more uh, technicians to get better skills. We don't do anything like that in the U.S. And, and to me, sort of supporting that sort of development of widespread tools that workers uh uh, could use to, to get to get the kind of skills that they need. Um, you know, we just need to all do a better job. I mean, not everybody's going to be a uh, you know a high end knowledge worker. There just aren't enough of those jobs. And but at the same time, there are going to be a lot of jobs that are more middle skill that really involve technical capabilities that workers need to be able to uh, to be able to move into. Um, in terms of your contacts with companies, is there a feeling among corporate leaders to kind of create a a corporate initiative to kind of create this pool of potential workers that keep improving themselves or? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit hit and miss. Um, I mean, there's a few really good examples around the country. Um, I'm going to get the names wrong on some of this, but there's an initiative in New York city, for example, that most of the major financial institutions, the banks, uh, and maybe some of the securities firms are involved in, uh, investment banks, I should say, where they've partnered with a group called CAL, the CA Council on Adult Experiential Learning, to create this uh, really fantastic online portal tool, whatever, to get workers, entry-level workers, into the financial services industry. Uh, oftentimes, workers who have, you know, frankly, maybe high, you know, no more than a high school degree. Uh, maybe they've been working, uh, you know, relatively menial jobs, but they want to better themselves. And so it's a really great tool. It, it helps them assess the kind of skills they are going to need based upon what the companies are needing. It gives them this opportunity to identify what are the courses. Uh, you know, it turns out maybe you want to understand something more about, you know, basic finance or something, where the courses are that are near you, you can do it. So there are really interesting partnerships like that. There's another partnership that uh, Microsoft and LinkedIn have in Colorado that they're uh, building a similar tool. Mm. Um, we were recently talking to Accenture, which is a pretty, you know, major uh, 
big uh, consulting firm, and they're very much focused on AI. Uh, one of their guys, uh, Paul, I'm going to blank on his name, I'm sorry, just wrote a really good book on AI and how companies are using it. But one of the things that they're doing, as well as seeing, uh, at least according to when I talked with them, is a lot of companies now are recognizing that they, if they don't take a proactive uh, role in preparing their workers for this AI transition that, you know, they're, they're going to be left behind, but also, you know, they're just not going to be seen as a good place to work. You know, you're, you're not making this an environment that is really going to be putting workers' interests, uh, uh, you know, uh, at pretty high level. So Accenture's doing that themselves, and then you're seeing a bunch of, or they're seeing a bunch of their own, their own clients who are also working on this. So, uh, so there's certainly really good uh, best practice models and companies that are taking the lead on this, but I think we need to do it more. Uh, and really, it's a challenge in mid-sized companies that oftentimes don't have the, you know, the, the resources and the HR capabilities to really implement this the, the way they might. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like an environment which favors the larger company as opposed to the smaller mid-sized businesses in uh, in the United States. Um, making it even a, a less competitive environment for a small business. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point you raised because uh, my colleague, uh, Sri Ramaswamy at the McKinsey Global Institute, um, Sri just spoke at an event we did yesterday at ITIF, which is on our homepage if your listeners want to see it. But Sri uh, and McKinsey Global Institute, they just released a report recently, really fascinating report on what they call winner-take-all firms. And... These aren't just firms in the tech industry like, you know, Facebook or Google or something. What they found was there's this really big rise of firms in all sorts of industries, you know, retail, hospitality, manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, you know, you name it, where you're seeing a, a small number of firms do really, really well, mm-hmm. and most firms kind of, you know, kind of stagnating along, and then a few firms doing really badly, but some people call them zombie firms that yeah. are losing money but not going out of business. And I think that does raise a whole set of questions, which they're trying to figure out now in their next reports of what's behind all that. But I think it, it raises some interesting points about how can we do a better job of enabling mid-sized firms to be able to take advantage of these technologies. Um, and I think in a lot of areas, there's they're certainly there's specialties. You know, I, I think it is a myth, for example, that the big companies are going to dominate all AI applications. Um, I was listening to a, another podcast about a firm that's specializing in AI for the legal industry, um, and somebody asked them the question: the CEO, uh, why, why don't why isn't Google doing that? And, and the point he made was. Google can't do everything. They're not all powerful. And secondly, they don't really know that much about, they don't have deep expertise in law, and and we do. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that sort of area where, especially applications around AI, particularly with deep, uh, you know, uh, disciplinary uh, expertise. Well, that's the really, that's where the creativity comes in, is using the expertise from kind of your you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience and then combining it with this new technology to make something newer, right? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Absolutely. where the, that's where real job creativity comes from. Yeah, and figuring out new, new ways. AI is just a tool. That's all yeah. it is. Uh, and, and we develop new tools all the time. And then what we're so lucky about in the U.S. is we've got a great class of entrepreneurs that we keep regenerating you know, as people get out of college uh, and, and entrepreneurs uh, you know figure out new ways to 
phone and GPS. I'm going I'm to like completely radically transform the quote taxi industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that wasn't just somebody came up with an idea. It was just somebody came up with an idea, and there was a set of tools they had that they didn't have ten years ago. That's why we didn't have Uber in 2000. Yeah. So I think it's similar to today. And 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 the other thing is AI. People, a lot of people think of AI as the sort of you know, magic kind of all-purpose thing, and it—it's really just a set of tools, and you're going to use those tools in many, many, many different areas. I mean, I was talking to somebody about using AI for, believe it or not, for agricultural uh, or vegetable harvesting, so mm-hmm. that the AI would know that this asparagus is actually perfectly ripe. So, cut that asparagus. Uh, the, the, the robot, but don't cut the one next to it because it's not ripe. And you can use AI to train the robot how to do that. Um, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of these kinds of specialty areas that somebody's going to figure out something pretty cool to do with it. Hmm. What um, what kind of what's the difference between how AI or machine learning is developing in Asia and specifically China compared to the United States. Um, I've read a lot that China is actually further ahead in terms of developing technology than we are here. So a couple things. Uh, one, uh, there's a book that I just reviewed. Um, uh, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name. It, uh, uh, he is Chinese, lives in China. He was head of Google China for a while now. He's with an investment firm or his own investment firm. And the book was called AI Superpowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth reading. I, I liked parts of it. I thought some of the parts of it he kind of got wrong or I didn't agree with. But um, he makes it interesting. First of all, I, I think it's, it's, it's very unclear, obviously, because there's a lot of a lot of uh, opacity with what's going on in China. It's hard to really understand it. But I think when you do talk to experts, there's a pretty clear sense that the U.S. still leads in AI. Uh, you know, it was more or less our invention. You know, we've got the best scientists in the world working on it. Uh, but that China is rapidly catching up. Uh, we're closing the gap. China has a number of advantages. Uh, n- number one, they have um, some of their companies are subsidized by the government. Uh, um, they have another advantage in the sense of there's just there, there's a lot more data there. Uh, the government, you, you want to use uh, camera data on the streets from the government, you can use that to train your algorithms. Uh, so there's just more data. I was recently reading an article. I think it may have been in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but fascinating article about how there's a new industry that's emerged in China where people just sit at computers, uh, you know, like, like literally like every two feet they're in, they're in these rooms and uh, out in these rural villages or towns and maybe 40 people in this little room in front of a computer and all they do all day is code images. So an image will come by and and, 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 you know, is, is, it a, is it a tree or is it a dog? And they'll click dog or, you know, is, is this a big thing or a small thing? or All the other things you need, you need to do to train an AI algorithm. Um, the Chinese have an advantage on that because it's, uh, you know, we're going to need to do that for a while. Uh, uh, AI algorithms are getting better and they need smaller tra- training sets. But uh, certainly for now, big training sets help and, and it's expensive and they have this sort of, army of you know, completely low-wage workers that are willing to do this unbelievably mundane task because it's a whole lot better working in some really bad, just, you know, 
factory job that's unsafe and dirty and all. Mm-hmm. So that's an advantage they have. But um, the big the big area that I think people underestimate, overestimate about China, they're not very good at sort of up the stack, if you will. Uh, they don't really understand very well. They, they, they don't have advanced AI services firms like we do, you know, like Accenture, or IBM, and these kinds of firms. They just don't have them. They're not very good at it. Uh, we have that. We're better at it. Uh, so they might they might have some of the AI engineering down, but it, it's a lot of this is about application and, and, and integrating into business models, and we're pretty good at that. Um, so it's not to say we shouldn't do more. I, ITIF uh, just released a new report last week on why we need a national AI strategy for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst thing we could do would be to just sit on our laurels because one of the things that's very different today than it was 20 years ago uh, when, you know, I remember meeting with delegations from Europe uh, 25 years ago, and they were still talking about their shipbuilding industry and their steel industry, and you know, we were talking about our internet industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, today, you know, the Japanese have an AI strategy, the Indians have an AI strategy, the Koreans, South Koreans do, the you know, Germany, France, uh, UK, Canada, everybody's looking at AI, and it's not to say that you know we're going to get hosed or anything, but you know we need to we need to recognize that this is pretty tough competition, and that uh, you know government can play a helpful role uh, here. No, definitely. Um, I uh, I appreciate your taking the time to chat today. I mean, I think we could we could honestly talk for hours, but I don't want to take up all your time. Um, if people want to learn more about uh, the work that you do, how could they reach out to you? Well, uh, certainly, uh, people certainly feel free to email me. It's R Atkinson, uh, A-T-K-I-N-S-O-N, at itif.org. But also our, our website, uh, there's, there's lots of articles and, and events, uh, videos and everything, blogs, all on AI and, and, and related emerging technologies. And that's just uh, www.itif.org. Awesome. Rob, thanks for taking the time to chat today, and um, if you don't mind, uh, maybe we can chat again in the spring and catch up again. Yeah, no, uh, that, uh, Jim, that would be my pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation, and, and feel free to reach out again, and uh, we'll see where we go. Sounds good.